Hi, this is Pastor David. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. For this episode, I will only be giving my message on Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 37. A reading from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 37. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one, and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, and with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, Why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be a son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We've all watched it this past week. It's consumed our attention. Its arrival to our area has come both as a shock and not as a shock. It's made us fearful and at times bored. We hope it will suddenly go away while we wait with fearful expectation for the next executive order. This pandemic has done something real to us. It has reminded us of how vulnerable and fragile we are, how vulnerable and fragile our culture and society is. Who would have thought just a few weeks ago that the largest economy in the world would grind to a halt? And who would have thought a virus we assumed would just stay out there would actually be so close to here? And it raises the question, What is our purpose in the midst of a pandemic? During World War II, a group of students at Oxford asked a similar question. They were asking, what is our purpose in the midst of this war? How does studying contribute to our purpose? Isn't it a waste of time compared to the more pressing matter of the war? C.S. Lewis, addressing these students, reminded them that the war didn't fundamentally change their purpose. 
They were at all times to live for God's glory, both during war and peace. So study to God's glory, to understand God and his world more fully. The war doesn't change this purpose. All the war does is shatter any illusion about humanity. humanity. Suddenly, studying to further humanity's glory seems silly given the barbaric nature of war. The war, if anything, clarifies their purpose. They are to seek God's glory. Now, we are living in a pandemic. Most of us by this point are shut up in our homes, and we are beginning to ask, what is our purpose? Displaced from our normal activities, we wonder if we are of any use at all in the fight against this virus. Isn't there something more useful we can be doing? The answer would be the same. The most useful thing we can be doing is to give glory to God through our lives. The pandemic doesn't change this. If anything, by highlighting how vulnerable we are and how vulnerable our society is, it clarifies our purpose. What is our primary purpose? asks the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Our primary purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And just as important as it is to know what our purpose is, to give God glory and enjoy Him forever, it is also important to know how to accomplish our purpose. The teacher of the law in today's scripture passage asks the very question we want to ask. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? That is, which commandment will let us please God the most, will glorify God the greatest? Now, we are used to reading in the Gospels that the teachers of the law are devious and out to get Jesus. So it comes as a surprise and a relief to meet this teacher of the law. There is no malice in his question. No trap is here being laid. Here I think we find a sincere teacher of the law who, impressed by what he had already heard from Jesus, wants to know how he can give God the glory the best. Jesus responds, The most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your heart. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus doesn't give new information here. He quotes from the Old Testament. The command to love God comes from Deuteronomy. The command to love your neighbor comes from Leviticus. The teacher of the law would have been familiar with these texts. Yet what is unique is the way Jesus fuses these two texts together, binding them in a unique yet inseparable way. Through these two means, Jesus is saying we may glorify God. The goal of our life, our purpose, is God's glory. Love for God and love for neighbor helps us hit that goal. Like an archer who aims for his target, loving God and loving our neighbor help 
help us aim for the target of God's glory. The target is God's glory. We aim through love. The first part of the most important command is acknowledging who God is and loving him in return. The greatest command begins, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. What is significant about this preamble to the commandment is that it orients us to who this God is and reminds us why we should love him. It is meant to remind us of the preamble to the Ten Commandments, a preamble that reminds us that we are not dealing with any generic God, but we are dealing with the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This Lord is our God because he has already loved us and claimed us for his own. And so this preamble reminds us of the basic fact which is meant to orient our lives. We love because he loved us first. God's love precedes our love. He calls, we answer. Our love for him is merely a response to his prior first love for us. So the love that Jesus commands of us is a love that answers the prior love of God. The love Jesus commands us to have for God is meant to be all-encompassing, a love that comes from the heart, from the soul, from the mind, and from our strength. A love that engages our desires, instincts, intellect, and energy. Does our love for God reach down to the depth of our being? Does it influence our every desire? Does it pattern our instincts, guide our intelligence, and focus our energy? It's meant to. Jesus demands that we love God with all that is within us. This all-demanding love should not surprise us, though. Our God-given purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Love, by definition, seeks to enjoy its object. It is only through love that we may learn to enjoy God's presence and learn to glorify him. Only through love that we can hope to aim our lives toward the enjoyment of God. This is the most important commandment. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. The teacher of the law did not ask for the two greatest commandments. He only wanted to know which commandment is most important. Jesus, by giving the second commandment, is in effect saying that trying to know the most important commandment is too narrow. The most important commandment turns out to be not one commandment, but two commandments. The greatest commandment turns out to be first to love God and second to love our neighbor. There is a first and a second, a primary love and a secondary love, yet both loves, love for God and love for neighbor, equally answer the question, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Too often, love of God and love of neighbor get pitted against each other. Should we prioritize missions and evangelism or ministries of mercy and compassion? What is more important, filling up the church or filling up the food pantry? 
What is more important, our time worshiping together or our time visiting with one another? Here, Jesus wants us to know both are vital. The love of God and love of neighbor have been fused together, and what Jesus has joined together, let them not be separated. But the greatest commandment does have a first and a second. It has become common to substitute love for God by love for others. But this saying of Jesus warns us against that. Instead, Jesus wants us to understand that our love for others flows out from our love of God. So if we have not first learned to drink from the well of God's love, our love for others will run dry. But as we learn to love God, then we will learn to love others as well. This love for others that Jesus commands is to be like the love that we have for ourselves. As Frederick Bruner explains, the words as yourself suggest the habitual imaginative replacement of the other person with oneself. The words prompt believers to ask themselves, how would I like to be treated here? Recall Jesus' golden rule. All the ways that you wish people would treat you, there, that's how you should treat them. As the love of God command added the rational component with the whole of your mind to the relation to God, so now the love of neighbor command adds the imaginative component with its as yourself to the love of the other. The phrase as yourself in this second command then is simply another way of saying what the words with all that you are said in the first command, namely throw yourself into personal encounters. Thus, the most important commandment in the Bible has two parts. First, love the God who loves you and cherish the person who meets you. The teacher of the law was very pleased by this answer of Jesus, and I suspect that a light bulb suddenly turned on in his mind, as if he meant, well said, teacher, you're exactly right. I, I've never thought of it like this before. Loving God and loving my neighbor are more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Love is what holds together the Bible. Love is what guides me to my goal, not my piety and acts of worship. It is as if this teacher of the law suddenly understood what Paul would later write. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but, not, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. When Jesus saw that this teacher of the law suddenly understood the importance of love, he told him, you are not far from the kingdom of God which is another way of saying, you're close, but not quite there. 
What Jesus is saying here is love, which fulfills all of the commandments, is indeed the way into God's kingdom. As Jesus says elsewhere, if you want to enter eternal life, keep the commandments. And what better way to keep them by loving God and loving your neighbor? And yet the problem is, even with knowing that love is central, as the Catechism explains, I have a natural tendency to hate God and my neighbor. God created us so that our purpose and goal would be to glorify him and enjoy him forever. And how do we do that? By loving God and loving our neighbor. The target is God's glory. We aim through love. But because we have a natural tendency to hate, we miss the mark. We miss our target. We fail to glorify God. Love is central, but faith is necessary. Which is what Jesus' question about whose son is the Christ is all about in verses 35 through 37. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked in effect, The teachers of the law say that the longed-for Christ is the son of David. Yet David, speaking through the Holy Spirit, says, to paraphrase Psalm 110, My Lord God said to my Lord the Christ, Sit at my right hand. If David calls the Christ his Lord, then certainly the Christ is more than just David's son. He is also God's son. And if God's son, then he can show us the heart of God's love for us. As John says in his first letter, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. So love is central, and faith is necessary to living out our purpose. By faith in Christ, the love of God is poured into our hearts and overflows to others. Now in this coming week, the pandemic will likely get worse. So all the more reason to devote our lives to God's glory by loving God and loving our neighbors. In the isolation of this coming week, take time to pray and reflect on God's word. Let all your heart, mind, soul, and strength be warmed by the love of God. And consider how you may love your neighbor. Consider calling those who might be lonely or vulnerable. If you are healthy, consider giving blood this Wednesday at the community center. But above all, remember, we love because God loved us first. Let us pray. O Lord, your greatest command to love can also be most difficult. Give us the same hearts as you have for the world and everything in it, that we might be the living presence of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for listening. 
But before you go, may you receive God's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. And to close, a recording of A Mighty Fortress is Our God.